It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Rams Up. This is an L.A. Rams podcast. We'll touch on other SoCal sports news of merit, but it's mostly about the Rams here. Thank you for joining us. You can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at laramsup.com. And please don't forget, subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Let's get to it. Greetings, Ram fans. Welcome back. This is episode 19 of Rams Up, your Los Angeles Rams podcast. What do we have on tap for you this time around? We have our four questions with a slight spin on it. This time, I do not have the answers. As you know, we very often do our first and four questions, and I'll give you all the answers you need. This time, I do not, because these questions are regarding what the Rams have to answer for us. What are the remaining questions they have to address before that game won. Also this episode, we will be looking at the Arizona Cardinals. Over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at each of our divisional rivals. We're starting with the Cardinals. We're going to look at where they finished up last year and also catch up on what they've got done since then. How have they improved? How have they potentially gotten worse and look at their prospects moving forward. It's good to keep tabs on these guys. 
Cardinals, 49ers, and Seahawks. And we're also down to our number one greatest play in Rams history. My favorite play, number one, I'm finally going to share it with you. Before we get started, let's do a news roundup, starting with the NFL and the Rams. Let's talk about number changes, jersey number changes for Rams players. Or how about we not? Because, to be frank, as I've mentioned, I really don't care too much about that, and neither should you. So we're done with that. Natrez Patrick, the linebacker, remember the Rams had stuffed him on their practice squad, got picked up by the Broncos, and they cut him last week with an injury designation. Sorry to see that happen. I thought Natrez had a future with the Rams. He looked He really flashed on the field in some preseason games. But now our linebacker room's pretty stuffed. And with that injury designation, I don't think we're going to see him coming back. But best wishes to Natrez. I thought he was a player. Kind of nice to see Calvin Johnson giving a shout out to his old teammate, Matthew Stafford. Johnson only wishing that the Lions had given him the same opportunity by trading him to a contender at the end of his career. Remember, he retired rather than continue playing for the Lions. He also gave a shout-out to Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson's father, Sean Jefferson, was Calvin's coach with the Lions for several years. And also worth noting, Sean Jefferson is now the receiver's coach for the Cardinals, moving from the Jets to the Cardinals during the offseason. So, Father and son will see each other twice a year. We've been reviewing those pro football focus positional rankings that have been coming out. Bucky Brooks, NFL insider, came out with his lockdown corner rankings, and he had Jalen Ramsey number one. Nice to see that. And pretty accurate as far as I'm concerned. And, by the way, if you're looking for some good reading, check out Kelvin Beecham's op-ed for NFL.com. Beecham is an Arizona Cardinals offensive lineman, and he wrote an op-ed reflecting on Juneteenth. I think Beecham's article is really interesting. It'll really open up your eyes. Good reading, and shout out to Beecham. Well written. Very interesting. Some historical facts that I was unaware of. Our previous episode, we checked in on some ex-Dodgers, Kiki Hernandez, Jock Peterson. Someone said, hey, what about Alex Verdugo? And good call. I should have included him. Verdugo is batting 290 with nine home runs and 32 RBIs as of yesterday. Having a good year for the Red Sox. And the Red Sox, as of Sunday morning, were back in first place. So, Very possible the Dodgers and Red Sox could see each other in the World Series. Not far-fetched at all. And the Clippers, down 2-0 to the Mavericks. The curse lives. The Clippers come back and win the series. Down 2-0 to the Jazz. The curse lives. They come back and win it. But Leonard's hurt. The curse lives. They keep on bouncing back. I'm not sure they have a chance against the Suns in the Western Conference Finals, but wow, are they snake-bitten or what? Paul George stepping up with Terrence Mann, carrying that team right now, but without Leonard against the Suns. 
I don't have a lot of hope for their prospects, but crossing my fingers, hoping they can pull it out somehow, or maybe Leonard comes back. Seems to be a mystery what's really wrong with him. But the rumor is it's a torn ACL, in which case the Clippers will have to win without him. I don't see that happening. The curse continues. Another thing I delved into recently was my least favorite sports cliches. I came across one that I should have included, and I'll speak to it real briefly here. And that cliche is, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. God, I find that so annoying. Apparently it was originally attributed to Richard Petty, the NASCAR driver. And yeah, NASCAR drivers are notorious, at least they used to be notorious for finding ways to cut corners, trim the rules, get an edge. But I think those days are gone. I thought it had been associated with the Raiders at some point, but I couldn't find any evidence of that. I know Joe Montana used that cliche referring to the Patriots back in the day, kind of taking the underhanded shot at the Patriots. Well-deserved, in my opinion. But it's just not true. There are plenty of teams and plenty of athletes who are trying extremely hard to win and to perform at the highest level possible, and they never even consider cheating. A lot of people really celebrate this cliche as if it's their guiding principle. What if golfers live by that rule? We don't allow it. A golfer moves his ball, improves his lie, does anything outside the rules to gain an advantage? Oh, they are cursed for life. Hey, here's a thought. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Why don't we apply that to college admissions? shall we? What would everyone say about that? I would say if you're cheating, you're not trying hard enough to win within the rules. God, I hate that cliche probably more than the four I mentioned the previous episode. Let's get on to our fearsome four questions regarding the Rams. And a note before we move on, I'm going to have a special thing to share with you next week. It'll be a little bit of a surprise, but come back and check it out, please. Time for our fearsome four questions of the week. A little bit of a spin on it. This time, though, this week, this episode, I have no answers. I have my four fearsome four questions, but I'm asking what questions do the Rams have to answer now that OTAs are behind them? What's left to figure out? And I've actually come up with six questions, but since this is a Rams podcast, We're sticking with our fearsome four questions and our two bonus questions. Four questions plus two. That's what we're going to do. What are the four things we need to know about this Rams team before opening day? And as we get into these questions, you're going to note one of them does not involve the offensive line because I think those questions have more or less been answered 
Yeah, there's some depth questions we have to be concerned about, but I think for the most part, we know where this offensive line is heading. You will also not hear a question regarding the defensive line. And the reason for that is the way this Rams defensive line has operated in years past, everybody's going to play. Everybody's going to rotate in. I think we kind of know who the three starters will be, but it's somewhat irrelevant because all these guys, these six guys that I think we know who they are, are going to get plenty of playing time. No big questions left as far as I'm concerned. So let's go through these questions in increasing order of importance or intrigue, shall I say. Fearsome question one, who was the long snapper? Not very exciting. Not a lot of people getting spun up about this, but hey, we've been spoiled by Jake McQuaid. We don't notice a long snapper until they do something horrific and cost us a safety or a touchdown. But we need a reliable long snapper, and hopefully Orzek or Wartell, the two guys on our roster, are going to step forward. One of them's going to step forward and do a good job for us. For some question two, who are the third and fourth running backs? I think there will be four, maybe three, but probably four. I know who the first two are. And after that, Xavier Jones, Raymond Calais, Jake Funk. Who are the two in line behind Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson going to be? I don't think it'll be three guys, and I don't think it'll be one guy. I think it's going to be two, and I want to know who they are. Here's some question three. Who plays slot corner? David Long is probably the front runner. Robert Rochelle? Is he going to be ready? Is Dante Dion going to steal that job? Could they possibly put Terrell Burgess there? Probably not. I think it's going to be Long or Dion, but I really don't know. Would like to know. Here's some question four. Who are those starting linebackers going to be? On the edge, it's going to be Leonard Floyd with Terrell Lewis backing him up. Pretty confident about that. But the middle linebackers, the Wills, bunch of bodies competing for those spots. Who's going to emerge? Now, it'll be very common for only two linebackers, aside from the edge guy, to be on the field. Who would those two be? If it's three, who would those three be? A lot of it will depend on situations, but the question remains, who is going to emerge from this large group of linebackers? Kenny Young, Troy Reeder, Micah Kaiser, Trevin Howard, the rookie Ernest Jones, Justin Hollins, and Oko. That's a really big question in my mind. The two bonus questions. Fearsome question 4B, we will call it. How much is Tutu Atwell going to play? Is he going to have a redshirt season? Now, I know he'll be returning punts, but I want to know how much he's going to be on the field with this offense. Is he going to come out there for the occasional jet sweep? Is he going to be the guy stretching the defense? Primarily going to be Deshaun Jackson, right? What are we going to get from Tutu Atwell this year? Curious to know? I have no idea at this point. For some question 4C, our second bonus question. What the heck is going on with Bryson Hopkins? We hear all about Jacob Harris. He's the rookie. He's the freak athlete. Going to do some damage. 
But is Jacob Harris really going to play that much? How many times have we seen these rookies come in, tear it up in OTAs, tear it up in minicamp, tear it up in training camp, and then they get 12 catches for 86 yards on the year? Is that where Jacob Harris is headed? I don't think so. I think he is going to be an impact player his rookie season. At least be on the field and get some targets. Score a TD here and there. But where does that leave Bryson Hopkins? I have no idea. Does anyone know? Certainly haven't heard a peep of his name this year. I think Les Snead mentioned him once. as a guy that's going to emerge and be a contributor. Remember, right now we have four guys. Tyler Higby, Johnny Munt, Bryson Hopkins, and Jacob Harris. I mean, Gerald Everett, as talented as he was, would disappear for weeks on end. Are we expecting too much of Jacob Harris? Or should we actually expect big contributions from him because Bryson Hopkins will be an afterthought? Or is Bryson Hopkins the guy? I have no idea. Need to know. And that's why I'm asking the question. Those are our fearsome four plus two questions for this week. Sorry. I have no answers. Over the next three episodes during these dog days of summer, with not a whole lot happening across the NFL... I wanted to catch up with our division rivals one at a time, take a look at what they did last year, the changes they've made, and what their prospects are for the coming season. I'm going to start off with the Arizona Cardinals. So how did 2020 play out for Arizona and Cliff Kingsbury? They finished 8-8. They had some Solid early wins against the Niners, Seahawks, and Bills. The Bills' victory was that amazing Hail Mary from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. So at 6-3, and three, they were the darlings of the NFL. But then they went on a three-game losing streak, picked up two wins against the NFC East, the Giants, and the Eagles. And then they closed out with two losses to the Niners and Rams. A win in either one of those games would have propelled them to the playoffs. So overall, pretty disappointing. A 6-3 and three start, followed by a 2-5 and five over the last seven, and just needing that one last win to get into the playoffs. Kyler Murray, their young quarterback, threw for just under 4,000 yards. DeAndre Hopkins, no surprise, led them in receiving with 1,407 yards. Kenyon Drake, who is now gone, was their leading rusher, 955 yards. Kyler Murray had over 800 yards rushing, and the third guy out of the backfield running the ball, Chase Edmonds, who is expected to be their new lead rusher moving forward. Their offense overall was pretty respectful. 385 yards a game, sixth in the league. A little better than the Rams, actually. They were stronger rushing the ball Then passing, they were only 19th in the league at passing the ball 245 yards a game. But overall, respectable offense. Kyler, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenyon Drake, the key guys. 
Their defense struggled against the rush, 126 yards per game. But a Baker, an emerging star in that backfield. They drafted Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker. They had trouble figuring out how to use him. I think he's still going to be a great player. They just have to figure out how he fits, what his strengths are. And I expect a big second year out of him. He was the team's rookie of the year. They got to the quarterback last year quite well, and that was without Chandler Jones, their great defensive end for most of the season. Had 48 sacks. Remember, the Rams were second in the league with 53. Hassan Reddick led that effort with 12 and a half sacks. So Chandler Jones, 19 sacks in 2019, had one in five games before missing the rest of the season with a bicep injury and surgery. Coaching staff, Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach, Van Joseph is the defensive coordinator, and Van Jefferson's dad, Sean Jefferson, is the offensive coordinator. So what have they done to improve themselves? They've added A.J. Green. He's in the twilight of his career. Love to have him on my roster, but I don't think he's going to have that much of an impact. Well, the big one, the newsmaker, was J.J. Watt, the defensive end. I mean, I'd love to have him on my defensive front, but I don't think he's the same J.J. Watt we saw two or three years ago. They also added the veteran cornerback Malcolm Butler, the center from the Raiders, Rodney Hudson. A lot of people saw that as a great addition, and it is. He's one of the better centers in the league. They also brought in Brian Winters to play right guard. Offensive lines improved. And the two draft picks, I think, that we should be aware of are Rondell Moore, the wide receiver, and Zavin Collins, a linebacker. Collins is to me, one of the surest bets in the draft. Big linebacker. Collins is going to be an impact guy, and pairing him with Isaiah Simmons in that linebacking core, that'll be a little scary for the next five or six years. And Moore could be a great guy opposite of DeAndre Hopkins. Some real receiving threats there. Think of uh, A.J. Green maybe replacing Larry Fitzgerald. He hasn't figured out what he's going to do yet. So you're looking at DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Rondell Moore. Not a bad three guys to lead your passing attack. I actually think that Cardinals had a a very good draft. So they'll be improved for the most part. They also brought in James Conner, the running back from the Steelers. So he will be battling Chase Edmonds for the majority of the carries. I think Edmonds will probably be the guy. Who'd they lose? Walter, like I said, they're leading rusher Kenyon Drake. They also lost linebacker Devondre Campbell. And Patrick Peterson has moved on. He's been a thorn in the Rams' side for years. His play has petered off a little bit in the last couple years. He was always a scary guy returning punts. So he's gone. But I don't think that's a big loss for the Cardinals. Maybe a loss as far as locker room leadership. But on the field, Peterson, once one of the best in the league, was now just a pretty good player. So if I'm a Cardinal fan, why am I excited about this team? Why do I think their prospects are high? Why do I think the arrow's pointing up for the Arizona Cardinals? Three things. One, I think their offensive line, which has always really struggled, is improved. Two new guys plugged in, one of them one of the better centers in the league. 
I think the Cardinals are going to do a better job of protecting the quarterback and running the ball. Number two, the potential for an improved defensive line as well. Chandler Jones comes back from injury. J.J. Watt, he's in the fold now. Now remember, they had 48 sacks last year, most of them coming from the linebacker core without Chandler Jones, and now you throw in J.J. Watt. So this defensive line could be pretty good. They could really get after the quarterback this year. And number three, those two young linebackers, Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. I would be so excited if they were my linebackers. I'm not sure if it's enough to make this a great defense, but two really athletic, talented guys, one a rookie, one in a second year, that's a reason to be excited. Now, are there any things that worry me about this Cardinal team? Well, I said there's the potential to be even better along that defensive line, but I also got to worry about the age and the injuries. Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt, do they have anything left in the tank? Are they are they going to be the Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt we saw two years ago, or are they both in decline? We'll have to see. Number two, who's going to carry the rock? I would not be excited if you told me my number one running back was Chase Edmonds or James Conner. They could both be okay, but nothing to get too excited about. I think that rushing game is going to struggle despite the offensive line that they've improved there. And number three, I hate to say it, but Kyler Murray worries me. For two reasons. One, how dedicated is he? Does he already have one eye on the baseball field? And also, it's kind of a theory of mine that guys that like to run like Kyler Murray really holds back their development. I mean, the occasional Hail Marys, yeah, they're they're pretty cool and all, but it's not a winning formula. And we saw that last year. He can take off, he can run, he can move the sticks with his legs. But what happens when he gets dinged up a little bit? He has not developed into that effective pocket passer that you can rely on. We saw it against the Rams last year when he had a bad ankle. It was game over. Cardinals were dead. Murray couldn't run, and he couldn't pass effectively either. So when you got a quarterback like that, you better hope he stays healthy. And the chances of him staying healthy for 16 games in a playoff run are pretty slim, to be quite honest. So Cardinal fans can be excited about seeing Kyler Murray year three, but if it's the Kyler Murray that relies on his legs like he has in years past, I'd be concerned about the end result of the 2021 season. Don't see them getting to the playoffs, and if they did, winning many playoff games, if that's the Kyler Murray we're going to see. So where does that leave the Arizona Cardinals, in my opinion? I think they're a threat to make the playoffs, definitely. Probably a 40-60 prospect that they'll make the playoffs. I think they're a better team than the Seattle Seahawks. And I think they will very possibly end up in second or third place in the NFC West if, if it all comes together. I don't think they're a necessarily deep roster, but... They got some studs. They got some veteran studs, and they have some young studs, and they have DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. The offensive line is good. 
The linebackers are good. They could be very good along the defensive front. Who's going to carry the rock? Are those veterans still going to be able to contribute? And, most importantly, can Kyler Murray lead this team with a twisted ankle? Well, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. My favorite Rams play, number one. So we've kind of down 10 to 1 with the five honorable mentions. You can check them all out on our website, ramsup.com. I hesitate to call it the greatest play ever in the Los Angeles, St. Louis, Los Angeles Rams history. It's definitely my favorite, though. And some of you are going to really hate me after this. But hey, it's my favorite play. Honey Nut Cheerios is my favorite cereal. That doesn't mean it's the greatest. It just happens to be my favorite. The date is September 4th, the year 2000. So just months after the Rams won the Super Bowl against Tennessee. Monday night, September 4th, they're hosting the Denver Broncos. And I suspect many Ram fans were watching this game the same way I was watching it, wondering, was 1999 and the following Super Bowl a mirage? Did the Rams just catch lightning in a bottle? And we're going to return to the destitute times that we were so accustomed to prior to the greatest show on turf. Dick Vermeil is gone, retired. Mike Martz is the new head coach. Really don't know what to expect. We bring back most of the team. We certainly bring back the keys to that team. Warner, Falk, Holt, and Bruce. They're hosting Denver. Pretty darn good team. Monday night in St. Louis. And the game's kind of back and forth. It's a little bit of a shootout. Broncos are hanging with them. And you're just wondering, maybe we don't have it this year. Maybe the greatest show is already over. And then with about four minutes left in the third quarter... Kurt Warner hits Oz Hakeem with a little pass on the right flat. He breaks a tackle. Torrey Holt, who was running a little crossing pattern, happens to be in the same area. And those two run down the right sideline together for 70-plus yards for a touchdown that more or less put the game out of reach. What a sight, seeing those two running side-by-side towards the end. It appeared that they were talking to each other. The commentator, I'll never forget this, they don't need a football, they need a baton. Those two, Oz Hakeem, Torrey Holt, racing 70 yards, and just an electric play. And, as sad as it may be, that is my favorite Ram play of all time. I knew the greatest show on turf was going to live for another year, The magic was still there. What a fun play. Oz Hakeem from Kurt Warner. Torrey Holt providing the escort for 70 yards, practically holding hands, and into the end zone. And the Rams win on the opening Monday night of the 2000 season. 
That's my greatest play, number one. My favorite play. Let's just call it my favorite play. I realize it's not the greatest play, but it's my favorite. So we've counted down 10 to 1 with the five honorable mentions. You can check them all out on our website, ramsup.com. I hope you enjoyed this. You got issues with my favorite play of all time? Shoot me an email, ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll get you on and discuss your favorite play. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And please, subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there.